Thank you, Pastor. Amen. I'm so glad to be here in Colorado. It was third, minus 31 when we left Moscow. <laughs> it was cold. So we're just honored to be here. And, and Pastor Mark and Tasha, thank you again for this privilege to stand in this place. We consider it an honor and thank you. Uh, I want to sing to you a song about the name of Jesus. And I want to proclaim that the name of Jesus is above every single name. It's stronger than any other name. It's more powerful than any other name. It's higher than any other name. It has more authority than any other name. And every knee, it's on the calendar, every knee is going to bow to that name. It's going to happen. You and I, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bowed before him on this earth. It won't be our first time. We'll be bowing before him. We'll be confessing out of our mouth. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But everything in heaven, everything in earth, and everything under the earth will be bowing before him. Every personality that lives in this day that seems so powerful and arrogant and evil, they will bow before his name. They will confess out of their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. It's going to happen. Praise you, Jesus. He's magnificent. Is he the magnificent? And I was sitting there as we were preparing to, to uh, worshiping God, listening to that song about the name of Jesus. And I thought, Lord, you've given us your name. Like if, if, if I gave you a million dollars right now, I gave it to you, it'd be yours. Well, he gave you his name. His name for you to freely Speak out of your mouth at any time, over any situation, over any problem, over any situation, over any sickness, over any disease. You can speak out your beautiful mouth, the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to sing. I love this song. It's, it's from Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11.
his name. You agree with me and the Holy Spirit that's dealing with you right now. Take a hold of it and receive his healing. Hallelujah. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus. Jesus! <laughs> 
God's touching somebody's heart right now. There's something that you've been wanting to give up. I don't know if it's alcohol. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's cigarettes, it's drugs, it's pornography. But the Holy Spirit is dealing with you right now. His power is there. Reach out and take his power. In your spirit, you would rather have Jesus than anything. That's the truth. And you belong to him. Wow, was that wonderful? That was wonderful. Denise Renner, thank you for ministering to us. Honey, that was just beautiful. And we are so glad that our son Paul is with us. He uh, took over the church that we started, and he is just doing a great job. I'm so proud of him. But we're glad to be with you today, and we're glad to be with your pastors, and we think you have wonderful pastors. Do you agree? And when I'm looking at who is about to come to your church, I wish that I could stay here for the meetings. Marshall and Cindy Townsley, they've been our friends for 35 years. Mark and Trenna. We've been on vacation with Mark and Trina. We just love the Hankins. And of course, it's very unpredictable what's going to happen when Mark's here. If I were you, I would not miss those meetings. That would not be what you do in a Rick Renner meeting. But Mark's meetings are amazing, and I love them. And please do not miss those meetings. They're going to be wonderful. But I also want to say thank you for allowing us to be here. And I want to tell you that things are going well in Russia. I know there's a lot of nonsense on the news, and that's what it is. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe most of what you hear in the news? Well, then you shouldn't believe what you hear about Russia either, because all of it is nonsense. God is working in Russia, and it is just so wonderful. In fact, I've got a pretty close relationship with the Russian presidential administration. Who would have imagined that? But I really do. And several years ago, they came to me. And they said, Rick, we believe there needs to be a strong Christian channel that will go into every home of Russia. Well, we already own a satellite network, which goes to 83 nations of the world. It's a Russian-speaking network. But they wanted one that would absolutely go into every home in the nation of Russia. And they asked me to lead the project. And so the new channel, which is called the Good News Channel, officially goes online March the 4th. It is quite a victory. Praise God, people that have never heard the teaching of the Bible, it's going to penetrate their spaces. And I just want you to pray for us that we'll have a good launch on March the 4th. Father, we thank you for that. We give you the glory for that. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I also want to tell you that we used to sell things when we come to meetings, and we stopped that. Now we give. And so today we've brought a book that we want to give to everyone that is here. And at the end of the service, you can pick it up. It's our gift to you. And it's called 
Signs you'll see just before Jesus comes. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. So I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And today we're going to begin in verse 3. Now, let me see if your Bibles. Hold your Bibles up in the air. Let me see your Bibles. Electronic, telephone, real Bibles. All right, always bring your Bibles when you come to church. But open your Bible to Matthew chapter 24. And Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for the wonderful word of God. Father, Proverbs 10, 21 says, the lips of the righteous feed many. And we pray, Lord, that today these lips would feed people the word of God. And Holy Spirit, we know that is impossible without you. You're the one that authored this book. You're the one that anointed this book, and you are really the only one with the authority to teach it. And so today I ask you to work through me. Open the scriptures to us. Open the scriptures to me. Let us step into the Word of God until we feel it, and we're transformed by it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to begin in verse 3. And as Jesus sat up on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Well, this particular moment, this verse says Jesus and his disciples were sitting on the Mount of Olives. Well, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know that just on the other side of the Kidron Valley is the Temple Mount. It is a panoramic view like none other in the world. Now Jesus and his disciples are sitting on the Mount of Olives, and as they speak to Jesus, behind him they can see the Temple Mount and Herod's Temple, everything behind them as the backdrop when Jesus begins to address end-time topics. And in the intertestamental years between the Old and the New Testament, the Jewish people were obsessed with the end times. They really wanted to know when is the Messiah coming. Of course, he came, and they didn't know that. They wanted to know what would be the signs of the end of the age. And so when you come to this verse, this verse is very typical of conversations which were happening all over Israel at that time. And the disciples said, Lord, now that it's just us and you. They asked him privately. No one else is listening. Tell us what you cannot tell anyone else. Then they ask, when shall these things be? If you have an ink pen or a pencil, either underline or circle the word when in verse 3. And what shall be the sign of thy coming? Either underline or circle the word what and the word sign. And finally they said, and of the end of the world. Either underline or circle the word end and the word world. These five words are key to this text. For example, when they said, tell us when, the Greek word when means exactly when, precisely when. We want to know exactly when these things shall be. And then they added, and what shall be the sign of thy coming? The word what in Greek is the little word T. It describes the most minute, minuscule detail. It was the equivalent of them saying, Lord, we don't want a broad sweeping answer. We want you to tell us exactly what will be the sign of thy coming. And even the word sign is very important. That's why I asked you to underline it or circle it. It is the Greek word simeon. It is the Greek word which described the signs you would see as you traveled along the road to tell you where you were and how much further you had to go. Even in the ancient world, 
There were signs along the road. My wife and I live outside the city of Moscow, out in the country. And as we drive into Moscow, there are signs that tell us where we are and how many more kilometers we need to travel before we come to the city. And finally, when we come to the city, we know we've entered into the city because there's a massive sign that says Moskva. It means we have entered into the territory of Moscow. Now the disciples were asking, Lord, tell us what are the signs that we will see along the prophetic road as we end, head to the end of the age? How will we know where we are, how much time we have left to go? How will we know when we finally have entered into the territory of the end of the age? And the word end is the Greek word suntileos. It means the wrap-up. How will we know when we're coming to the wrap-up of the world is what the King James Version says, but that's a bad translation. In Greek, the word world is the word geis. That's not this word. This is the word ionos. A better translation would be, how will we know when we've come to the wrap-up of the age? If anybody tells you the world's going to end, they're wrong. The world will never end. It will always be here. It's going to be changed. It's going to be refined by fire. But there will never be the end of the world. But there will be an end to this age. Now, in response to their questions, Jesus begins to answer them in verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Verse 6. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Well, when most people read this text, they jump right to verse 6, which says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, or verse 7, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilence, earthquakes. And they skip over the first sign that Jesus gave. The disciples asked for one sign. What is the sign? And Jesus answered them with the primary sign, which will be evident that we've come to the end of the age. And then he enumerated others. And you need to know that when you ask Jesus a question, he will answer your question and he'll tell you other things as well. If you'll just get privately with him. And that's what happened with them. They asked for one sign. He gave them the most important sign. And then he gave them others as well. But the most important sign is in verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed. Take heed in Greek is blepeto. It's almost like he's reaching out to grab hold of them and shake them up to make sure they're really listening. Throw your shoulders back. Hold your head high. Really hear what I'm about to say. Take heed that no man deceive you. And the word deceive in the Greek text is the word planeo, a word which was very, very popular in the intertestamental years, and that's what this was. Jesus was living in the intertestamental years before he died at the cross. And during that season, there was an obsession about the end of the age. And the rabbis at that time were prophesying that at the end of the age, spirits of delusion would be released in the earth at the very end of the age. And now Jesus concurs. He says, take heed that no man deceive you. The Greek word planeo, which really describes delusion. 
delusion. Let no man delude you. Let no man deceive you. But this word was particularly used to describe a person, a people, or a nation who one time walked on a well-worn, traditional, moral path. It was the only path they knew. But now for some bizarre reason, they have left that well-worn, traditional, moral path, and planow, now they have begun to veer to the side, and they're walking alongside the edge of a cliff that is very, very treacherous, and they're treading with danger because of the moral detour that they have taken. And in fact, this word deceive was used in an agricultural sense to describe an animal that lost its way so badly the animal could not ever find its way back home unless someone went to find it and to bring it back home. It was completely off track. It could not find its way back home. Well, this is one of those words that only has one meaning. So there's only one possible interpretation. And Jesus was prophesying, you will know when you've come to the final sign, the very end of the age, because delusion will be released in society, and society as a whole will move away from the well-worn moral path that it has walked upon and will take another route which is treacherous and dangerous. And in fact, society as a whole will get so far off track unless someone goes to rescue them they will never be able to find their way back to that traditional, well-worn, moral path. And Jesus gave this as the chief sign that we've come to the end of the age, and then he adds others. For example, in verse 6, he says, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Notice he does not say, you will see. He says, you will hear. The Greek word akuo, it means to hear. It's where you get the word for acoustics. Jesus is describing something in the ears. And in fact, then he says, wars and rumors of wars. The word rumors, the Greek word akoe, which actually describes the ear. Jesus is saying at the very end of the age, it will be a generation that has the sound of war ringing in its ears. And the word war is the Greek word polemos, which describes small conflicts, skirmishes, large-scale wars, conflicts, and commotions of every time. And Jesus said at the very end of the age, it will be as if... Society as a whole in every part of the world is thrown into a state of upheaval and commotion. Then he adds, See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end, the Greek word suntaleus, the wrap-up, is not yet. Now some people who read this say, Well, wait, 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 wait. There have always been wars. There's always been earthquakes. All these things have always happened. And that is true. In fact, when Jesus spoke these words, the Roman Empire was occupying the Mediterranean Sea, the region all around it. They were occupied by a hostile force. But in these verses, Jesus says, shall, shall, shall. He's speaking futuristically. He's pointing to the wrap-up of the age. He's not describing their time. He's describing the end of the age. Then he says in verse 7, for a nation shall, there's that word shall again, it's futuristic. For a nation shall rise against nation. The word nation that is used here in both cases is the Greek word ethnos, which can be translated nation, but it can also be translated ethnicity or ethnic groups, which means Jesus prophesied at the end of the age there would be a stirring of ethnic groups, a stirring of them, whites against blacks, 
one religion against another religion, one faction of one religion against another faction of another religion. Jesus says it will be a rising of these things. And he says against. In Greek, the word against is the word epi. It is a preposition which carries the idea of superiority. It's one group wanting to have the superiority over another group with the intention to crush or to decimate the other group, to completely put it away. And then Jesus says, kingdom against kingdom. The word kingdom, the Greek word basileia, describes a kingdom or a place of rule. For our purposes, it would describe political systems or it would describe ideologies. So you could actually translate this one ideology against another ideology or one political system against another political system. And because the word against is used here, which again is the word epi, it carries the idea of one wanting to have the superiority over the other and not just superiority, but to crush the other, which means incivility will exist between ideologies and political systems at the end of the age. Well, I think we're all witnesses to the day of incivility. We're living in a time when people are saying what they never said. People have lost their manners. It is unthinkable the way that people are behaving these days. Jesus prophesied that would be another sign of the end of the age. Then he added, and there shall be famines. Well, when you think of famines, you think of, of course, a scarcity of food. But there's much more to this, because the word famine here, which is plural, which refers to multiple happenings, is connected to grain. And in the first century, when there was a deficit of grain, it shook up the financial systems of the world, because all the financial systems of the world were based on trading grain. And when there was a deficit of grain, it resulted in major financial instability. So while there is famine in the world today, and in fact, when you read it in this book, you're going to be quite shocked. We as Christians need to become aware of how many people are going to bed every day in the world today hungry, and we need to pray about what we can do to make a difference in their lives. But in addition to that, Jesus was prophesying at the end of the age there would be multiple episodes of great financial instability. All of that is in this word famines. And then he adds pestilences. And notice it is plural. And the Greek word for pestilence is described something that is widespread. You could even translate it as a widespread pandemic. And notice that here it is plural, which means not one, there's going to be others. COVID is already in the past. Another one is on the way. I'm not trying to be a bearer of bad news. It's what Jesus said. It just goes with the season that we're living in. Now, you know, God is never in the business of scaring people. But he is in the business of preparing people. And he loves us so much, he wants us to wake up and to realize this is the season we're living in. We can't do anything about that. We've been chosen for this season. We've been anointed for this season. And if we know there's going to be financial instability, then it means we need to be sowing our seed right now to be sure we have a guaranteed harvest when instability comes. And if we know the pandemics are coming, then we need to take all that we've learned about the healing power of Jesus and get ready to use it when people become sick. This is our season to rise and to shine. But then Jesus added earthquakes in diverse places. But when you read this in Luke 21, verse 11, Luke states it just a little differently. Luke says there will be great earthquakes, 
The word great doesn't really refer to the size of the earthquake, but to the multiplicity of earthquakes, indicating at the end of the age, the entire earth will begin to shake. And of course, that's happening today. And then Luke adds something else in Luke 21, verse 11, which holds a mystery. Jesus said, and there will be fearful signs and great signs from the heavens. That's the way it's usually translated, but it's not correct. And the reason it is not correctly translated is because the translators don't know what to do with it. Because when Jesus said fearful sights, it is the Greek word phobotron. The word phobotron is the derivative of the word phobos, which means fear. But when the word fear becomes phobotron, it's a word that was only used one way in the first century. It didn't have multiple meanings, just one. It was the word for monsters. So if you're going to translate it literally, and that's what we have to do, Jesus said, and there shall be monsters at the end of the age. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Then he added, and great signs from the heavens. The word from in Greek is the preposition apo. It describes something descending directly out of the heavens on a wide scale at the very end of the age. So Jesus says there's going to be monsters and there's going to be something coming out of the heavens at the very, very end of the age during the wrap-up of this age. Wow. Well, that leads to a lot of speculation. However, in Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah. The Greek says exactly as it was in the days of Noah. It describes a replication or a duplicate moment. Exactly as it was in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, which means it can only mean that whatever was taking place in the world in the days preceding the flood will, flood will be replicated or duplicated again at the very end of the age. Well, in the days before the flood, you can read about it in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Strange, bizarre events were taking place as spiritual entities were coming into the world and interacting with women and with people, and the result was monstrous creatures whom the Bible calls giants. Things were literally descending out of the heavens, and there were the appearance of monsters in the day before the flood. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And now we see in Luke 21, 11, Jesus says, also at the very, very wrap-up of the age, there will be the appearance of monsters and things coming out of the heavens. So in some way, these events are going to be replicated in our time, which means if we think we have seen bizarre things, we haven't even begun to see bizarre yet. And again, Jesus was not trying to scare us, but he was trying to prepare us. But go back to Matthew 24 and look again at verse 8. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. The word sorrows, the Greek word uden, 
Maybe you have a newer translation. It's the Greek word for birth pains. Well, I'm very thankful that I have never given birth to a baby, but Denise has given birth to three, and I've watched it very closely. And you know, when a woman is first about to have a baby, sometimes when that first birth pain hits, it's so mild she's not even sure she has a birth pain. I can remember Denise saying, I think I felt something. But it wasn't so long until she wasn't guessing if she felt something. She knew she was feeling something because, wow, it was hitting harder. And not just harder, they were coming faster and faster and faster and faster. And here Jesus prophesies at the end of the age, all of these events are going to begin to pile on top of each other, one on top of the next. It will begin slowly, but as you come closer and closer to the end of the age, it will feel like they're just piling on top of each other. Well, I'm 65 years old. For those of you that are my age or near my age or older, you know that 50, 60 years ago, when something disastrous happened, it got our attention because these things didn't happen so often. But today, they're just piling one on top of the next until we've nearly adapted to this state of crazy which we're living in today. But the truth is, we have moved into transition. And once a woman moves into transition, she can't say, I've changed my mind. I don't want to have this baby. It's too late. She's already in transition. She's going to give birth. And likewise, when all of these events begin to take place, it is the signal that we're coming to the very end of the age. And my friends, when this age ends, just like all previous ages, it will give birth to the next age. It doesn't just end, it gives birth to the next age. Birth pains produce something. First of all, it's going to produce the rapture of the church. And the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that in the very moment the great restrainer, that's us, is removed, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, then, and the Greek says, at that very synchronized moment, the man of sin will be revealed, speaking of the Antichrist which means we can guess who he is, but no one will really know who he is until the restrainer of the church has been removed. And the moment we are removed, then that lawless one shall be revealed. The word revealed, the Greek word apokalupsis. It means to part the curtain to finally see which is on the other side, which means the man of lawlessness, whom we call the Antichrist, is probably already center stage, but he's not revealed yet because he cannot be revealed until the restrainer has been removed. But the moment the restrainer is removed, then at that very moment, bam, the curtain will be pulled apart, and he will make his great entrance. All of that is in front of us. Do you see how important it is to know what the Bible teaches? For example, there are people today worried that maybe they're going to accidentally take the mark of the beast. You do not need to worry about that. The mark of the beast is going to come with the Antichrist. He will be revealed after the restrainer has been removed, which means the mark of the beast cannot be given during our time. That's in the next age, which is called the Great Tribulation, which will also give birth to the millennium. Every age ends with birth pains and gives birth to another age. And we're living at the end of the church age. And the reason we're experiencing and seeing the things we're seeing is because we're living in the final birth pains. 
at the end of this age. And we have been chosen by God to live in this time. Other people prophesied of this time, wondered what this time would be like, and we've been chosen to live in this time. We're appointed. We're anointed. We can do this. We've studied for this moment. Now it's time for us to get out of the grandstands and get onto the field and play ball. This is our moment to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. And Jesus said the primary sign that you've come to the end of the age would be spirits of delusion released into the earth. And today we're living in such delusional times. And I'm not trying to nitpick or step on anybody's toes, but we're living in such delusional times. We're living in such lawless times that people are rebelling against their gender. It is the ultimate sign of lawless, rebellious times. When science and the courts and Hollywood and education is forcing this mandate that we recognize things which are not verified by science. Spirits of delusion have been released into the earth. But let me tell you something. We're not the first generation to deal with this. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Do you know that in the city of Smyrna, which was a church Jesus spoke to in Revelation chapter 2, in the city of Smyrna, was the cult of Sybil. It was a disgusting, disgusting, bloody cult that had to do with castration. And the only way you could become a priestess in the cult of Sybil, because only women could be priestess, and the only way you could become a priestess in the first century is if you began your life as a man. And to become a priestess in the cult of Sybil, you had to be castrated, emasculated completely. And to the best they could do it in the first century, they surgically altered you and turned you into a woman. And only then could you qualify to be a priestess in the temple of Sybil. And in the city of Smyrna, it was said the most beautiful women in the city were the priestess in the cult of Sybil. And these were men who transitioned to become women, and some of them got saved and ended up inside the church. So the early church, at least to some degree, also had to deal with some of these things, which today we're all being confronted with. If they could do it, we can do it too. We can get answers from heaven and know how to help people that have made wrong decisions. That's our job. Can you say amen to that? But wait, I want you to see something else. Turn to Romans chapter 1. And when you go to Romans chapter 1, which I believe is one of the most brilliant chapters in the entire Bible, the Apostle Paul describes what happens to a society that throws God off. And when you come to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The King James Version says, Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Notice they're holding the truth. It doesn't say they don't know the truth. They're holding the truth. And the word hold is the Greek word katako, which really means to 
suppress the truth. And here we find a picture of people who have heard the truth, they've been told the truth, they know the truth, but the truth has now fallen out of fashion. And rather than let the truth be broadcast and taught as it once was, they try to suppress the truth or put a lid on the truth lest it get out and positively affect people. Then verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they're without excuse. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God, this word knew is the word genosin, which means to generally know God. It doesn't mean they were born again or they even had a relationship with God, but it describes what we would call a God-fearing or God-honoring people. It depicts a moment when people knew God, recognized God, respected God, respected godly things. Because then when they had a general knowledge of God and appreciation for God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. The word thankful is the Greek word kerastos. It's from the word charis, which is the word for grace. It's thanksgiving, coming out of our heart, thanking God for his goodness, thanking God for his blessings. But in this verse, we find a nation that shucks God, finds it no longer fashionable to be that religious. So in the Greek, it has a little A in front of it. It's a kerastos, which means they stopped being thankful. And when you read what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, he says that where there is unthankfulness, it always results in a sense of entitlement. Where people are no longer grateful because they just think they are entitled to everything. And certainly we're living in a day of entitlement. Then it goes on to say, neither were thankful but became vain. The word vain is the Greek word metaios, which depicts something that is wasted. A better translation, they became wasted in their imaginations. The word imaginations, the Greek word logismos, is logical thinking. They became wasted, ruined in their ability to form thoughts and reason in their logic, and their foolish heart was darkened. The word darkened, the Greek word skotos, it describes blackness, so black it can nearly be felt. But the word heart is important because it is the word cardia, which describes the physical heart. So you have to ask, what does the physical heart do? Well, the physical heart beats and beats and beats and pumps and pumps and pumps and pumps blood into every part of our being. But now we find when a society ceases to glorify God, decides not to be thankful, and becomes wasted in their logic and their reason, their heart Rather than pumping blood, the heart of society begins to pump and pump and pump and pump darkness and more darkness and more darkness and more darkness and more darkness. And here the Holy Spirit is prophesying at the very end of the age when society shucks God, it will feel society is being pumped throughout society. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The word professing in Greek means asserting, alleging, putting themselves forth as being wise. The word wise is the word sophos. It describes those who believe they are 
and intellectual cut above the rest of society, those who allege that they are the progressive thinkers leading the way for a new day, so here they are asserting, putting themselves forward as the progressive thinkers of a new age, a new day. But the Bible says, in fact, they became fools. The word fools is the Greek word moreno. You can guess what word we get from that. It's the word morons. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul says. Professing and asserting themselves to be progressive liberal thinkers, in fact, they were so wasted in their conclusions, in reality, they became morons in their behaviors. Then he says in verse 23, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds, into four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Now you might say, what in the world is this verse? Is it about the zoo? What is this? Creeping things, beasts, birds. That is one of the most brilliant statements ever written about the development of idolatry. My specialty is the ancient world, Greek, Christianity, paganism. And if you study the earliest, earliest paganism, what did they worship? Creeping things. That's how it started. As time went by, their mind began to ascend and they began to worship four-footed beasts. As their thinking began to ascend, they began to worship birds. This was particularly during the Roman Empire when Paul wrote this. And Paul says at the end of the age, they will no longer worship creeping things or four-footed beasts or birds but man will begin to focus on man, and man will become the object of his own worship. And that's why the following verse says, Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness. Now sometimes people say, well, the problem is God just gave up on them. But the Greek actually says God released them. God is so kind and so gracious, he will not make us do anything. And if we want to do what is wrong, he will say, go get it. If that's what you want, it's yours. And here we find if society wants to reject God, God will release them to do what they wish. And God released them to uncleanness. Through the lusts of their own hearts, look at this, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Either underline or circle that word dishonor. The word dishonor means to disfigure, to dishonor, to shamefully treat the body. And my friends, we are truly living in a day when people are doing things to the human body that they didn't do even a hundred years ago. There's a great desecration of the human body in our age. And then it says, Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. The word change really means to exchange. It's the picture of putting two things on the table and having to choose which one you're going to keep, which one you're going to trade in. And society, Paul says, that has gone wayward, trades God in and chooses himself. Who exchanged the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature, that's man, more than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. Verse 26, for this cause, God gave them up. A better translation would be God released them. If you want it, go get it. God released them unto vile affections. 
For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. The Bible says that's vile. Verse 27, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is what? Unseemly. And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Which means when you do sexually what is not fitting according to the rule of God, it results in bad things. There's payday which eventually comes. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Again, it's not that they didn't know God. They knew God. Some of them probably went to Sunday school. They grew up in a society that was at one time a God-fearing society. They knew better. But a time came when it was no longer fashionable to live by those old rules. Remember the word delusion. Deception means to leave a well-worn traditional moral path and to choose to take a new path. And now man at the end of the age will choose to leave this safe path it has always walked upon and to form its own path. We don't no longer want to do that. We don't want to retain God in our knowledge and live the way we once did. One reason why is because if you retain God in your knowledge and you understand a judgment day is coming, it's going to affect the way that you live in your life. But if you get rid of all that, you're free to do what you wish. I really understand this because I live in Russia, which was the heart of communism. And when the Bolsheviks came to power, Paul, would you please bring me a Kleenex? When the Bolsheviks came to power in 1917, 1918, the first thing they did was eliminate God. You know why? Because if you know there's a God, they could not do the things they wanted to do. So they just eliminated him. We just choose to believe he doesn't exist. And by eliminating him, suddenly they were free to create a world that they wanted to create, to kill whoever they wanted to create, to do whatever they wanted to do. And by the way, I'll tell you something very interesting you may not know. Lenin's wife was named Krupskaya. Lenin was the leader of the Bolshevik Revolution. Krupskaya was put in charge of public education. After the communist revolution began, she said, we have to change the way our children think if we're really going to change everything. And they wrote all new curriculum that removed God and totally changed the thinking of an entire generation. They targeted the children. There's nothing new under the sun, my friends. It's exactly what's happening today. Then it goes on in verse 28 and says, even as they did not like to retain God, in their knowledge, God gave them over, or God released them to a what? A what? Reprobate mind. Notice the word reprobate isn't used in connection with the word mind. What in the world does it mean to be a reprobate? Well, the word reprobate, the Greek word adikomos. The word dikomos describes something that's fit, something wonderful, something marvelously made. Mm, it just glimmers. It's so wonderful. But if you put an A in front of it, that which was so shining and so wonderful and so marvelous has now become defective. It no longer operates correctly. It's become malfunctioning. 
And the word reprobate describes a mind made by God to think right, to think clear, to think straight. But because it has been bombarded with so much false information and images again and again and again and again, all of that information pounding the mind has reformed it so that it no longer believes wrong is wrong and right is right. Just like we're told in Isaiah 5, verse 20, a day will come when they will call darkness light. And they'll call light darkness. They'll call good evil and evil good. That is the description of a reprobate mind. And by the way, the word reprobate doesn't just describe unbelievers. There are many Christians who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but they're listening to wrong information on the internet, and they're reshaping their mind to embrace all the new nonsense which is in the world today, the woke agenda, the Holy Spirit living in them, but their mind is being changed to think wrong. Even a believer can be reprobate. Is there hope for a reprobate person? Absolutely. Most of us were reprobate in some way when we came to Christ. But when you begin to submit your mind to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to pound your mind and touch your mind and you submit yourself to the Word of God, it doesn't matter how twisted a mind has become, it can be refashioned and renewed to think in alignment with what God says. There's hope for everybody. One day, Denise and I were watching a politician in Washington, D.C. By the way, I want to tell you the world is watching the United States right now. And the world is wagging its head in shock at the nonsense that's taking place. Everybody's wondering, where is it going to go? And Denise and I were listening to a politician quoting verses about why it's a godly thing to stand for abortion and to stand for gender transitions. And this was a person who claimed to be a Christian. I said to Denise, that's a reprobate person. Doesn't mean she's a bad person. It just means she has listened to the wrong information for so long she's begun to believe it. It has reshaped her mind and she really believes what she's saying. They really believe it when they're reprobate. And the Bible says eventually to do those things which are not convenient. What you think is what you do. And when you become reprobate, it opens the door for all kinds of reprobate activity. And that's what the rest of Romans chapter 1 is, and I'm not going to read it all. But I do want to read something to you. And then we're going to conclude. And tonight we're going to pick up right here. This is just part one. Here is the RIV. You say, what is the RIV? It is the Renner Interpretive Version. And it will be released, the first part of it, next fall. This fall. Here is Romans 1, 21 and 22. Translated about as accurately as you can get it from the Greek. Are you ready for this? Although society once had a general acquaintance of God a general knowledge of God, and a reverence for things related to God. A time comes when people find it no longer fashionable to give God his due reverence. 
Rather than be grateful to God for blessings, they forget who blessed them and cease to be thankful. They turn from God, and as a result, they begin to veer morally, which results in their thinking becoming laced with error that affects how they reason about everything. They allege it's all right to believe things that are not supported by correlating facts and evidence, and eventually their conclusions become totally out of sync with reality. A normal heart pumps blood, but the heart of a God-rejecting society pumps and proliferates foolishness until it's filled with darkness that eventually spawns depravity, immorality, and godless behaviors. The so-called leaders of a God-rejecting society constantly assert that they are the brilliant intellectuals of a new way of thinking, even though it's difficult to fathom how they could claim such a thing. Regardless of what they assert, Their words and their ways of thinking make them sound like those that are mentally ill or mentally deranged. How could anyone think what they propose is normal? Make no mistake about it. Those who think this way are clearly morons. That is a literal translation of those verses. Now, what do we do with all this? Well, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The good news is we've been chosen for this season, and people need us. They need us more than they have ever needed us. People don't know the Bible. People don't know what's right. People don't know what's wrong. They don't know whether they're a boy or whether they're a girl. People are so confused because spirits of delusion have been released. What other explanation could there be for the delusional conclusions that people are coming by today? There would have to be spirits of delusion at work for people to come to such irrational, illogical conclusions. One day I was riding on a plane with my associate. He was Russian. We hit really bad turbulence. I mean, that plane was jerking all over the place, and I was holding onto my armrest. You could nearly see my knuckles. They were so white. I looked over at him. And he threw his arms up in the air. He said, whoa! I said, what? Are you enjoying this? He said, ah, relax. We can't change it. He said, just play like you're on a roller coaster and have fun. I thought, you know, he's right. We can't change it, so let's enjoy it. I threw my arms up in the air, and both of us just had a blast in all that turbulence. Well, at the end of the age, we're living in turbulent times. And so we have to learn how to ride the waves. And we have the power of God. We've got the word of God. We've got the blood of Jesus. And we have the answers that people need. This church has never been more needed. Colorado really needs level-headed believers. They need you. This is not a time for us to hide in the house and close the curtains. It's time for us to charge out and rescue the perishing and care for the dying that are all around us. This is really our time to shine. And when we come back tonight, I hope you can come back tonight, we're going to take it the next step further to see what the Apostle Paul said about the end of the age and our assignment. What is our assignment? You know, when I was a kid, we played tag. Did any of you play tag when you grew up? I loved to play tag until I got tagged. (laughs) But somebody has to be tagged to live the end of the age. Somebody has to be the last days. It's us. 
So rather than say, oh, this is so bad, we need to say, praise God. God trusted us to live in these times. Think about what we can do to rescue the perishing and care for people that are dying. This is our moment to shine. And it really is, friends. We're appointed and we're anointed for it. And that's where we're going to pick up tonight. Did you get something out of this today? Praise God. I want you to put your hand on your heart. I want to pray for you. And I'm going to turn this over to your wonderful pastor. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, the Bible is amazing. It's so accurate. Lord, thank you that you love us so much. You wanted to prepare us. And Lord, if we didn't know what was coming, it's because we weren't paying attention. We know you don't want to scare us, but you want to prepare us. So Lord, we embrace your word. And we ask you to help us be the best soldiers we can be in the army of the Lord in the end of the age. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Ooh, praise the Lord. Thanks again for that word. We appreciate it so much. Wow. Glory to God. Ooh. Man, we've been equipped. Uh, for that, you know, I was still in the first service, as Rick has that, he didn't come to scare us, but to prepare us. And for years, we've used and returned to what we've been saying, God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. So when we arrive at that place, we occupy that place. It does not occupy us. And so we've just seen today, we're in the last of the last days. All the signs point to it. We've been brought, could it be we've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this? Well, yes, we have. We're in the right place at the right time in the right hour. And you've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a well-disciplined mind, a sound mind. And the things that we've learned and the things we've heard have equipped us to see and recognize the things that are going on around us, yet we have not that spirit of fear. We don't draw back. We're not pulling back in timidity, but we're pressing in. We're leaning in to the very things that we see. When we see people around us who are confused by the days that we live in, you've just received equipment to say, listen, we don't have to be confused by the days that we live in. We know what's happening, and your mind may be deluded. You may be confused, but you bring the truth. You bring the light. You bring the strength. You bring the power. You've truly been equipped today with some things that will make you effective in ministering wherever God sends you, into your job, into the grocery store, wherever there are people who all of a sudden do not know what's going on. Their mind is being blinded, uh, lest the light of the glorious gospel shine on them. You have words to speak to them. You have understanding to bring to them. You have truth to enlighten them with. You've been prepared for a work of ministry that God's called you to. And even though you stand before people and your heart starts to beat with what will they say, how will they respond to me, you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. You look at them and aren't afraid of them because you love them. When God begins to, that, that, that life of God that's been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit of God, that love, when you look at somebody and the devil says you should be intimidated by them, you should be afraid of them, look at what they know, look at where they're at, look at how they're confused and acting that way. You have to say, listen, I haven't been given a spirit of fear. I'm not afraid of them. There's something that goes beyond that, a love for them that begins to have compassion. And God gives you a mind to think straight as to what to present to them and bring them good news. Amen. It's a day where we claim that scripture. I will not be intimidated 
by the things of the world and not, not be intimidated by those who are confused with the things of the world. But I'll reach out in love and I'll allow God to give me a well-disciplined mind to think as I ought to think, that I might express the will of God to them, to change their thinking through the word of God, expressed through the love that he has placed in my heart. God's prepared you for that very thing. So don't draw back when you see that opportunity. But look at them and allow the love of God to stir you with compassion, to lean into them and speak light and truth to them. And you will be surprised at the anointing that comes upon your life when you step into that place to declare his truth in love, that there will be an anointing not just to speak the word, but to stretch forth his hand to bring forth healing and restoration, to break yokes of bondage and to bring healing to the broken heart. God's called you for such a time as this. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. How many of you are taught the word? The Bible says that we should express to the one who teaches us the word in all good things. We've received today something that's spiritual. We've received today something that has been dropped into our heart, imparted to us by a gift from God. And it's the word of God, and it's the truth of God, and it will go beyond if we cultivate it. You'll walk out those doors, and, and tonight, and tomorrow, and the next day, it'll continue to work. It'll continue to grow. It'll continue to be rooted in your life to become the fabric of who you are for this last days. That's the life of the word of God. It is spirit, and it is life to us, and it's been presented, imparted, and deposited in your heart. And the word of God says, if you understand that, we have the opportunity. We make a value judgment right now. In this moment, we get to make a value judgment. Wow. Did I come here and pay a ticket? No, I came and freely received life-changing spiritual words. Wow. How valuable that is to me. He says, if you know the value of that, is it any big deal to take something of lesser value and communicate it to the one who brought something of greater value to you. God has such a divine way of working in our lives to say, I'll give you something so valuable, more precious than gold, that perishes and deposit on the inside of you. And then is it any big deal at the end that I say, take that thing that would perish and communicate it to the teacher or the one who brought spiritual substance? So we're just going to enter into that value judgment, that great exchange right now. We've received something that is spiritual. It's life-giving. It's ongoing. And we're going to communicate with the renters of our natural substance that God's blessed us with. If you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you're giving by cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. If you're giving by text, the number is right up there. Ooh, praise the Lord. It is so good to be here with you all. Man, God's doing something phenomenal. Right here, right now. Changing hearts, changing lives. Bringing healing. That word came forth from Miss Denise. Clarity of thinking for some. Man, the word just changing. And she's just bubbling on the inside. And the spirit of God just still like working, revealing. Praise the Lord. Man, glory to God. We ready? Father, we thank you once again for what we've received. Thank you for gifts in the body. We thank you for the renters. 
the gift that they are to the body of Christ. We thank you for the opportunity to have them right here in our midst to bring from that gift and to deposit and impart to us the word, truth, revelation. Bring the anointing that we might saturate, experience that anointing of the word of the spirit in our lives. We thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to communicate back to them in this offering. And Father, as each one gives today, we declare, command the word of God that is truth over their lives, that you supply every need that they have according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I thank you as they sow. God, I thank you. They'll reap in accordance with their sowing. And I thank you that you'll make all grace abound towards them, that they have all sufficiency in everything, that they're able to give in every charitable donation that you lead them to. They're able to give out of love to situations that otherwise they'd not be able to give to, but you are providing for them and their generosity that the fruit of righteousness would grow and increase and flourish. And that in that, God, in their activity of giving and receiving, thanksgiving goes up to you. Praise goes up to you. So we thank you, Father. There's such a divine working in your systems, and we thank you for it. We declare your blessings on each one in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and pass those buckets. While the buckets are going by, the book is right there. Things you'll see right before Jesus comes back. And so make sure you go and you get a book back there. And uh, make sure you're back for part two tonight. Don't let anybody or anything change your thinking, twist your thinking. You want to get in in part two. This is only half of it. And go bring somebody. If you know anybody who's wondering about the times that we live in, it would be awesome to bring them to hear the word tonight. Why don't you stand up? Say this we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day. We'll see you at 6 o'clock tonight.